0: Hello my gardening friends and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Do you have a favorite food from childhood? Do you have a favorite recipe your grandmother passed down to you from her grandmother? The history of our food is important to preserving our cultures and our heritage. Many times the ingredients that go into those foods are very regional. But What if the knowledge of those ingredients was lost somewhere along the way? What if nobody remembered how to grow or forage for the main parts of some of our traditional family and cultural dishes? Today we're talking all about why traditional foods are important and what happens when a culture is unable to or restricted from passing on that knowledge to the next generation. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40 acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So... Huge shout out really quickly to Lisa, who messaged me saying that she'd found the shop on my website when signing up for the newsletter and asked why she hadn't known that I had a shop. Um, oops. (laughs) So, surprise, we have merch. Actually, those of you in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group and those of you on the mailing list actually got a heads up about this a few weeks back, so... I had actually intended to mention it last episode, but I got so engrossed in talking about peppers that I honestly just forgot. So if you want to check out the merch shop, it's just slash shop, and there are mugs and tank tops and t-shirts and stickers out there with the show logo and two designs that I put together for the spring collection. Those will come down to make way for the summer designs probably in late June or early July, so go check them out while they're available. And thank you to those of you who have made purchases already, including Lisa. It's a great way to support what I'm doing here and to show off your love of gardening and maybe gardening puns at the same time. There's a hint for you. I'll leave a link in the show notes. So it's time for the DRL. What am I doing reading and listening to? What am I doing? Well, we've been sort of doing this weird dance with Mother Nature here lately. So summer planting got put on hold because our temperatures were dipping unseasonably low for a few nights and then the rain is moving back in. So about 400 or so of the tomato plants made it into the ground last week, and then about 100 or so of the peppers. But then we had to transition back to harvesting for our first week of CSA and the farmer's market, and I honestly was just hanging on until the weekend because I was exhausted from the sudden flood of activity. It takes a lot of effort to harvest and clean and sort and pack all those veggies we grow, and uh, I am not a spring chicken. So I was looking forward to a little rest on Saturday afternoon to chill and recuperate before continuing to plant on Sunday. But instead, we spent Saturday evening covering the plants to be sure there was no damage from the sudden change in temperatures. So it was a very long week. I did, however, get to rest on Sunday because... I decided to wait on planting out the remainder of the warm weather crops until we get through this rain and the colder weather. So we're just staying flexible as usual. So what am I reading? I am reading an advanced copy of Jenna Kutcher's book, How Are You Really? Now, Jenna Kutcher is a digital marketer and entrepreneur, and she is the host of the Gold Digger podcast, and this is her first book. But it's not a business book. It's more of a deep dive into how to create a life that you want to be living, rather than a life where you're constantly chasing the shiny stuff around. It's not a book about achieving financial success in order to create a better life. It's talking more about decisions that we can make that are fueled by peace and purpose. And it seems that that question, how are you, only gets harder to answer as we get older. So I'm only part way through it, but I'm digging it so far. Like I said, mine's an, an advanced copy, but you can pre-order yours at uh, com, or you can just go to Amazon and search it. But I'll link to that in the show notes in case you're interested in reading that. And what am I listening to? I'm not adding anything new to the repertoire right now because I'm playing catch up on a lot of my favorite podcasts. Um, one of those is the Run to the Top podcast, which is all about running from fueling to training plans and everything in between. So if you're a runner or you want to be one, that's a good one to listen to for sure. And since the growing season means much less time for running, I picked up a used treadmill from Facebook Marketplace two weekends ago. So I can keep running even when there's no daylight left in my day. And one more quick announcement before we dig into this week's topic. You'll notice this is episode 92, which means we are coming up on the 100th episode of this podcast. Now, originally, I was going to reach out to some of my fellow podcasters in the gardening space and ask them to collaborate with me on a special episode, but I changed my mind about that. I want to collaborate with you instead. I want you to email me, message me on social media, or leave me a voice message in the link below and tell me this. What is one thing that you wish you had known when you first started gardening? I don't care if this is your first gardening season and you're only a few months in. You must have learned a few lessons already, right? I would love it if you guys would leave me a message at the link and I could play them on the podcast, but I get that many people don't like to hear themselves, so sending me an email or a direct message is fine, and I'll just read them on the podcast. Tell me who you are, where you garden, and then the one thing that you wish you'd known when you first started gardening and why. I'll take all of those answers and I'll put them together into a great collaboration for our 100th episode. If you can get those to me by July 1st, 2022, I would love to hear and read all about it and we will share this milestone as a community. I'll link to all the places that you can reach me in the show notes. So let's celebrate 100 episodes together. Alright, so let's talk about traditional foods. Every crop-specific episode I do, I mention the ethnobotanical uses of that crop. This information includes where the plant originated from, how it was domesticated, and the traditional uses by the people native to those regions, whether it was for food, fuel, medicine, or fiber. These foods were consumed locally, preserved for use later when not seasonally available, and made up the whole of traditional diets. Our nutritional and medicinal needs, once upon a time, were completely met by these foods that helped define our cultures. And unfortunately, a lot of that is being lost Our modern culture has completely reduced the variety in our diet. Traditional foods didn't contain any of the additives or flavorings and preservatives that our modern foods do. And they were completely nourishing. They were complex and flavorful and complete. The nutritional density of whole, unprocessed foods prepared by hand cannot be beaten. Unfortunately, even trying to repeat this process today using our modern growing methods means the nutrition has been compromised before it even gets to our kitchens. The foods we eat today, even whole, unprocessed foods, when grown in industrialized agriculture, is not nearly as nutritionally dense as it was even 50 years ago. this is just one of the many reasons why it's so important to grow as much of our own food as possible. But besides even the flavor and nutritional content, traditional foods are inherent in maintaining a culture and its connection to its own heritage. This connection between people and plants is important, both historically and culturally. It's dangerous to forget the role of plants in human culture and practices, how humans have used and modified those plants. This seems to be generally understood through much of Europe, and it's evident in the differences in food culture throughout that region. Nordic cuisine differs greatly from Eastern Europe, which is very different from Mediterranean cuisine. And the plants grown in each region differ widely. That's what the regional dishes and the customs are based on. The plants we grow in our gardens today came from a wild relative somewhere that thrived in that particular climate. These are things we should be paying attention to when choosing plants for our gardens. What climate are you growing in? Did the plants that you're growing come from a similar climate originally? If not, you're likely fighting an uphill battle to get that plant to produce for you. It's not that it won't, but if you've found yourself struggling in the past to grow eggplant in your dry, arid, super-hot Arizona yard, remember that eggplant originated in the Mediterranean. It's not you, it's the plant. (laughs) Maybe try growing something that's native to a desert region, like melons. Knowing the history behind your plants may make for a better growing experience. Now, many, many of us living in North America are descendants of immigrants who came from places that were steeped in history and tradition, much of that centered around food and agriculture. Some of them brought that history and those traditions with them and passed them on to their children and their grandchildren, choosing to live in places that allowed them to grow the fruits and vegetables that they were accustomed to. Others immigrated and left those traditions behind to start completely anew. And then those that remained in their native countries may or may not have continued on with those cultural practices as food systems became more industrialized. And this is where those traditions begin to get lost. Unless the members of a society insist on keeping those traditions alive, the plants and foods that define them and that help make them who they are begin to disappear. And that's just one of the ways that traditional food history gets lost. It gets pushed aside for modern conveniences and new ways of eating. Another example of food culture being lost through no fault of their own, mind you, are the Native American tribes. Native Americans were forced to change their traditions, move from the lands that they stewarded for thousands of years, and live on government-provided food subsidies that contained canned meats, processed cheeses, powdered eggs, and other heavily processed, nutrient-deficient foods. There was no way for many of them to continue to hunt, gather, forage, or farm their own traditional foods. Now, over time, those foods have become all but unknown to the current generation of the original peoples of North America. And I'm sure the same thing can be said for the indigenous peoples of many countries, whether through being removed from their lands or being introduced to what we refer to as modern practices. Now, there's a chef named Sean Sherman. He's an Oglala Lakota who was born in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, on the Pine Ridge Reservation on Lakota tribal land. He grew up eating that processed commodity food program food because that's all they had. Throughout high school and college, he worked at numerous restaurants and eventually he became a chef. And through his journey, he was dismayed to find that knowledge of his own people's traditional foods had been all but lost. He, as a chef, knew only a handful of traditional Lakota recipes that he could trace back to being truly authentic. Chef Sean is determined to get that back. He self-studied and went on a quest to figure out what the traditional foods of his ancestors were, where they were grown, and how they were used. He's researched Native American farming techniques, foraging, and food preservation. He started a company in 2014 called the Sioux Chef, S-I-O-U-X, Sioux Chef, as a caterer and an educator in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And his goal is to get indigenous foods back into the hands of tribal communities and reduce their reliance on government foods. I'll leave a link in the show notes to the Sioux Chef website so you can read more about the incredible stuff that he and his community are doing. He's got a restaurant, there's a cookbook, there's a nonprofit. It's really all just good, good stuff. But the point is Chef Sean is going to great lengths to recover what was lost from his culture and he's just one of many who understand that losing traditional foods undermines a culture's entire identity and what those cultures have lost we have also lost there are plants that grow wild in my yard and on my farm that i know have value i just don't know what that value is I've made a practice of looking up a lot of those plants to see what food or medicinal value they have, and thankfully, there are ethnobotanists out there who have kept a record of such things. Mullion, plantain, stinging nettle, all things that are viewed as weeds on most properties here are actually all very handy for medicinal purposes. Pawpaw, smooth sumac, persimmon, all have so many uses, and yet most people in my area don't recognize many of these native Missouri plants. If we don't keep the stories, if we don't keep the foods, what becomes of a culture? Culture is defined as the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. Now, I maintain that traditional foods are a major part of those customs. Now, I'll be the first to tell you. I don't have many traditional foods in my house, not in the way folks who are more tied to their heritage have. I live in the U.S., a country that, by definition, has no traditional culture of its own. We're too young for that. Our traditions are made up of the traditions brought with our ancestors as they've immigrated here. Many of them are only one generation before ours unless we're counting fast food as american tradition in which case mother nature help us we're doomed my grandparents came from germany scotland and ireland all those countries have very strong traditions around food and food ingredients i have farmers in my bloodlines going back who knows how long But I don't know much in the way of food from those cultures. I'm most familiar with the German recipes that my grandmother introduced to us as kids, and I do love a good place of roulade and schwetzel with lots of butter and gravy. But I wasn't immersed in it. I'm more immersed in my husband's traditional Puerto Rican dishes and the sofrito that his mother taught me to make with all the bright, fresh ingredients like cilantro and onions and peppers. So... I learn the traditional foods of other cultures. I plant things in my gardens that can be used to make fresh, incredible, flavorful, nutritious dishes that came from the traditions of a culture that I may know nothing about, but that I can learn about through their food. And in that way, those cultures and their traditions won't be forgotten. It's up to us as a society, as eaters, as gardeners, to keep traditional foods alive now on friday i've got another special episode for you i will be interviewing marion whitehead she's the senior horticulturist in the nursery at the blue mountain botanic garden in mount toma in new south wales australia this was such a fun conversation about her roundabout way of getting into horticulture via the way of television marketing (laughs) the wildfires that destroyed the habitat that she was in charge of at the gardens her current role, and some fascinating stories behind how some of the plants have ended up in their collection, how some have been rediscovered, and how other plants got their name. She and I geeked out a little bit about the stories behind plants, and you don't want to miss it, so I'll see you back here on Friday for that very special episode. The Just Grow Something podcast is a member of the Positively Farming Media podcast network. So if you're looking for more great food and ag-focused podcasts to listen to, you should check out the Positively Farming Media playlist on Spotify. The link is in the show notes. And don't forget to reach out to me with what you wish you knew when you started gardening to help me celebrate the 100th episode of this podcast. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and I'll talk to you again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.